I've never been to South Dakota before. I've been to your neighbor to the north, North Dakota. I, uh, I had a, bought a new camera, and I thought, well, I'll take it on my trip to North Dakota to take some pictures. <laughs> I didn't take any pictures. There wasn't anything worth taking a picture of, but... I'm glad to be here, man. I can tell South Dakota is the home of a good governor and sane senators and government-hating, bureaucracy-fighting, gun-carrying, hard-nosed, redneck, hairy-legged women. And the men are pretty tough, too, right? So thank you. Thank you for the warm welcome. Beautiful room. All kinds of goodies the preacher and his wife got for me. Let me use their Ford Explorer Expedition to drive around town. And uh, just been so kindly treated. Gave me a gift card for any meals I needed that they didn't host me at. I'm going to work hard to try to eat up all that gift card money that they gave me. It'll be difficult. Well, I'd like, if it's all right, uh, I would like to read three versions of our Story tonight is uh, the first version is in Matthew chapter 8. The second version is in Mark chapter 4. The third version is in Luke chapter 8, and they're all in your King James Bible. Amen. Thank you for allowing me to come, and thank you for being here tonight. How many of you are members of this church? Raise your hand if you're a member of the old wonderful, great crowd from Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. How many are not members of this church? Raise your hand if you're not a member, but you wish you were. Very good. And the preacher has offering envelopes. He will take care of you right away. All right. Matt, did you typically stand when you read the scripture here, Pastor? No, I, I do whatever you normally do. I normally stay seated. Okay, then I will stay seated as well. Um, <laughs> I, listen, I have a twisted mind. I really do. But I, I would tell our people when I pastored at First Baptist of Bridgeport, if you knew all the things I think but don't say, you'd be really proud of me. And I'm going to say some things you wonder about. So you stay seated, I'll stand. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. Hey, there's a good idea. Disciples ought to follow Jesus. And behold, there rose a great tempest in the sea and so much that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he said unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What matter of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, a parallel, complementary account of the same event in the ministry of our Lord and his disciples. And the same day when the evening was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over into the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships, and there was a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say to him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he rose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, 
be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm and he said unto them, why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. I'm always amused when I read that. He rebukes them for being fearful and they feared. <laughs> and said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Luke chapter 8 and verse 22. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples. And he said unto them, let us go over into the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake. And they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Lord, would you guide me by your spirit to say the things that would help your people, that would please you? I thank you for this wonderful church. What a great spirit. What a kind and gracious reception I've received already. What a privilege to see old friends and people that are friends of others of my friends. And to be this good pastor and his wife. And Lord, I want to be a help, but I can no more help them than you help me. So would you please empower me by your spirit. And then, Lord, I pray you'd bind the devil and his demons that they would fail in their effort to snatch the seed of your word away from the soil of our hearts. And then I pray that you'd help us as listeners to determine to be good ground and gladly receive what you have for us. We'll thank you. Bless the preaching, please, and the invitation as well. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The Lord Jesus has just preached the Sermon on the Mount. Greatest sermon ever preached. Then he has performed three miracles and now he says to the disciples, we need to cross over the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is a body of water about eight miles wide, about eight miles, well, 13 miles long. It's surrounded by mountains largely and the wind has etched grooves into those hills and it's not uncommon for the wind to whip down and whip up a storm on the lake. Now, they're not just taking a recreational trip. When they get to the other side, they're going to meet a man who really needs them, the maniac of Gadara. And when he comes to know Jesus and is cleansed from the unclean spirits that possess him, he wants to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, no, you stay here. Tell everybody what I did. That trip, they asked Jesus to leave. Get out of here. But the next time Jesus goes to that same territory, they're eager to receive him. And the only reason I can give you is the testimony of that man. So they need to get to the other side of the lake. And the Lord Jesus says, hey, let's get in the boat and we'll go over the other side. And they no sooner get in the boat than a storm whips up. Now, wait a minute. I thought if you were in the will of God, and they are clearly in the will of God. Jesus said, let's get in the boat. Go to the other side. I, I heard on the hooky pooky television station <laughs> that if you're in the will of God, you'd always be healthy, you'd always be rich, your wife wouldn't nag, your husband wouldn't 
procrastinate about doing projects around the house, your kids would behave, your car would never run out of gas, your dog wouldn't have fleas. <laughs> Especially if you sent the rascals telling you all that stuff money. But they obey the Lord Jesus and get in a terrible storm. Why? I want you to think about the reason for the storm. Now, the first reason I'm going to give you, I read in a commentary, my favorite Bible commentator is John Phillips. John Phillips was a brilliant man, wrote wonderful commentaries, and he died as a member of Bobby Robertson's church. Bobby Robertson never finished the eighth grade. John Phillips put himself under the authority and the ministry of that great, uneducated, but certainly not unlearned man. John Phillips pointed out that in the Gospel of Mark, the Bible says the Lord rebuked the wind and he spoke to the waves. And he said that word rebuke is most often used of unclean spirits. So John Phillips said he thinks that the storm was inspired by Satan. I can't prove it to you. It's kind of interesting. You don't have to believe it because our text does not explicitly state it, but it makes sense. The devil's the prince of the power of the air. He likes to cause trouble for the children of God. He's the accuser of the brethren. We know what he did to Job. But the second reason for the storm, you must accept because it's explicit in our text. We say, well, God put me through that trial to see whether or not I'd be faithful. He was testing me to see if he could count on me or not. Um, wrong. Did you know God has always known everything? Did you know this at news to anybody? I've never been here before. I don't know what the level of training you've given to these folks is. <laughs> Our Calvinist friends have a big argument over some of them are sublapsarians and some are supralapsarians and some are infralapsarians and they argue about the order in which God gave his decrees. Did he first decree man's salvation, reprobation, condemnation, uh, his damnation? And it's a dumb argument because there is no order with God. God never said, hmm, I think today I'll do this. No, he knows the end from the beginning. So God didn't learn one thing about the disciples. He'd already known everything they do. When the storm was over, the Lord didn't know one thing about the disciples than he'd known before, but the disciples knew a whole lot more about Jesus. They knew that he could make lame people walk and blind people see and deaf people hear. And now they found out that his power exceeds the ability to heal individuals, but he can control the elements. What manner of man is this? May I remind you that every trial and every temptation and every difficulty God intends to use to draw us closer to him Amen. to teach us more about him. Yes. The reason for the storm, it was inspired by Satan, I think. It was instructive for the saints, I'm sure. But notice the response to the storm. The disciples are scared. Master, we perish. Now, the Jews generally weren't seagoing people. 
But four of the inhabitants of this ship were expert sailors. They made their living on that same body of water, likely in a ship that was extremely similar, if not identical to the one they're in now. They were fishermen, Andrew, Peter, James, John. But even the experts are scared now. They're scared. It's a bad storm. And the Lord Jesus' second response to the storm is sleeping. Wow. Does it ever seem to you that the Lord Jesus is asleep when you're in a storm? You pray, but nothing changes, no answer comes. You endeavor to be faithful, you try to dig into the word of God, nothing pops off the page at you. Here's what's intriguing to me. When the Lord Jesus went to sleep, none of the disciples, as far as we read in all three accounts, said anything about it. They didn't say, Lord, stay awake now. We're going to need you. We've got to cross eight miles of open water. We need your help. No, they had that. It was a trip they'd made before they were going to make again. It wasn't anything unusual. See, here's what we think. We think, man, I'm in bad trouble. Now I need God's help. That's what we think. And when you're in bad trouble, you need God's help. But Jesus said, without me, you can do. Oh, they're getting better marks now in your training. We're doing all right. (laughs) Without me, you can do nothing. My friend Ron Hamilton wrote a song that said, Lord, I need you when the sea is, the wind is blowing calm. And Lord, I need you when the, the wind is raging strong, whether trials come or cease. Keep me always on thy knees. And I'm here to remind you, you need the Lord Jesus when your house is about to be repossessed and your marriage is falling apart and your children are wayward and the doctor says it's cancerous and you need Jesus when you got money in the bank you don't know what to spend on and your marriage is perfect and your children are obedient and your health is as good as it can be. You always need Jesus. But he's sleeping. And it looks to me like he did it on purpose. I've had people sleep when I preach. I never fuss at them. I don't. I believe in the law of sowing and reaping. When I was a student in Bible college, I worked hard to get through college. One year I was a night watchman. Every other night I'd work one night 10 p.m. to 2 a.m., next night off, next night 2 a.m. to 6 a.m., and at the same time worked 4.30 to 8.30, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at a mattress factory, and 11.30, 12.30 to 8.30 on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and some Saturday mornings I worked hard. I was tired. I perfected the art of sleeping with my elbow on a hymn book and my chin resting on my fist in an upright position. So I am owed people sleeping when I preach. I did hear about one, old, one preacher had an old guy came in and fell asleep every Sunday and he just, just kind of careless and disinterested and the preacher had enough. He said, you watch. He told his wife, I'm going to get him next week. He waited, the guy was sleeping real good, and he said, everybody who would like to go to heaven when you die, would you please raise your hand? And everybody said, that old guy raised their hand. And then he said, everybody who would like to go to hell when you die, would you please stand up? The old guy woke up, jumped to his feet, looked around and said, preacher, 
I don't know what it is we're voting on. But it looks like you and me, the only ones for it. But I have never had anybody bring in a pillow, put it down on the pew or the chairs, and Jesus is asleep on a pillow. Looks to me like he did it on purpose. I would suggest everything our Lord ever does, he does on purpose. The disciples are scared. The Lord Jesus is sleeping. And the ship, the ship is full of water. I'm not, but I'm working on it. Anybody own a boat? We got any boat owners here? It's okay. I'm not preaching against it. <laughs> any boat is going to get some water in it. You got a 16-foot aluminum fishing boat with a 25-horse motor on it. You've got a milk jug. We used to use coffee cans, but milk jugs are better now. You cut them off, and you scoop the water out of the bottom of the boat. You got a bigger boat, it's got a system designed to let the water run under the floor, between the floor and the hull. Go to the back, there's a little pump called a bilge pump, kind of like a small sump pump, and it gets the water out of the boat. But I'm not aware of hardly any boat that is designed to function full of water. And the Bible says their ship was now full. The Bible says their ship was covered with waves. But the ship is safe. The disciples are scared. The Lord Jesus is sleeping. The ship is safe. You know why? This is no ordinary boat. This is a boat where Jesus is. You better be sure that when you sail through the storms of life that you're in the boat with Jesus. We used to sing, Master, the tempest is raging. The billows are drawing nigh. And then we'd sing, No, tempest can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. The ship is safe. And then there's a rebuke. There is, first of all, a calming rebuke. The Lord Jesus speaks. He says, peace, be still. And as fast as it started, the storm stops. Those trials and burdens and heartaches can be over as quickly as they start in our lives. And then he issues a convicting rebuke. And he rebukes the disciples about two things. Number one, he rebukes them about fear. Fear. Why are you so fearful? Hey, what scares you? What keeps you awake at night? What makes you worry? What makes you nervous? What nags at you? And you find your mind going back to this particular issue, circumstance, concern over and over again. Is it the government? Unrest in American society? Is it uh, running out of money? Is it your family falling apart? Some health issue? What scares you? And the Lord Jesus says, once you've identified that, he says, why? Well, the doctor thinks you might have a problem. Yeah. But well, he's going to check it out. Well, but then what? 
Well, well, well then I, I might have a serious issue. Well, then what? Well, I might be really sick. Well, then what? Well, they might not be able to treat it. Well, then what? Well, then I might die. Well, then what? Hey, I got news for you. Ain't none of us getting out of this thing alive. Unless you live to the rapture of the church, you're not getting out of this thing alive. John Rice, great evangelist of another generation, founder of the sword of the Lord, had a man come up to him one time, point a gun at his stomach and say, I'm going to blow your brains out. <laughs> not a biology major. John Rice never flinched. He looked at the man and said, you can't scare me with heaven. Can I say I think that there are forces in our society using fear to manipulate people? I think there's a lot of that gone on in the COVID deal. Now, there's, it's a real deal. I have friends who've died from it. I don't care if you get the vaccine or don't get the vaccine. I don't care if you wear a mask or don't wear a mask. I'm frequently asked to wear a mask, but it's not for health reasons. They just don't want to look at me. <laughs> I go through TSA and they say, would you lower your mask? I say, you'll be sorry. <laughs> I'm not paying for counseling. <laughs> Post-traumatic stress disorder is all on you. But, the churches still haven't started Sunday night back their services. There are people that say, I just am scared. I can't go to church. I like what my pastor says. He said, if you're, if you're fearful, and I know some people have underlying conditions and it is more risky for them, and I respect that. Uh, but he says, I just ask that you be consistent. In other words, if you're not going to go to church, don't go to Walmart. I've been to your church and I've been to Walmart. Your church is cleaner. And the clientele is of a higher quality at your church than at Walmart. I promise you that. Why are you so fearful? God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Monroe Parker was a great evangelist. He, uh, Went to a church in Kentucky in the hills, one of those places where the police didn't go. He got off the train and the old pastor, old pastor, 72 years old, young, young pastor. <laughs> I'm 69. Your preacher offered to do something for me today that I could well do myself. I said, hey, I'm 69, not 96. <laughs> Keep doing it as long as you can. Otherwise, you won't be able to do it sooner than you would have been unable to do it. Does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> he got out of the train and, and the old preacher said hurry get in the car there's going to be trouble he got in the car said the last preacher here they killed him while he stood in the pulpit said the same bullet killed him went through his body and hit his wife at the piano and killed her too last evangelist they had a Saturday night prayer meeting before the revival started and they were praying oh God don't let Dr. Parker die oh God please don't let Dr. Parker die you can look this sermon up on the internet, Monroe Parker, the 23rd Psalm, and he said, you could hear my fervent amens intermingled with their prayers. It was a rough meeting. 
but tough guys stood at the back, six guns on their belts, their arms crossed, daring the preacher to say anything they didn't like. And one night, somebody turned out the lights. They beat up that old preacher, broke his glasses, stole his fountain pen. The lights came back on. Monroe Parker had had all he could take. He was a very strong man. Played football, Thomasville, Alabama, high school and college football. He picked up the pulpit. He set it aside. Monroe Parker used to do a headstand and then do push-ups. Go home and try that. We'll know by the neck braces tomorrow who <laughs> attempted their Monroe Parker impersonation. He pulled the pulpit aside and he said, you bunch of cowards. Beat up an old man in the dark. He said, you guys go around with your six guns pointed at your heels. You better be careful. They might go off accidentally and blow your brains out. <laughs> Biology was not widely taught in that era, I guess. And then he said this. Everybody's saying, oh, God, don't let Dr. Parker die. Oh, God, don't let Dr. Parker die. You can't kill me. I'm going to live as long as God lives. Hey, so am I. And if you're a child of God, so are you. Why are you so afraid? Rebukes about faith. Can I say that if this church is going to fill its Jerusalem with the doctrine of the Word of God, as is your theme this year, you know, do you have to get over your fear? And you have to have faith. And he asks this question. I like this one. He says, where is your faith? Interesting. Everybody has faith. How many when you drove here tonight came to an intersection with a green light? Traffic, did that happen to anybody? Okay. I know what you did. You slowed down. You looked both ways, make sure the cars that had the red light were going to stop, and then you gently eased on through the intersection. No, you didn't. You drove right on through. Didn't even look who was on the other side. Some of you saw it start to turn yellow. Mashed on the accelerator. Tried to sneak through before it got red. You had no idea it was in those other cars. There could have been teenagers in those cars. But you had faith that perfect strangers would obey a traffic signal. Where's your faith? Preacher, who made these chairs? Church Pleasant. And what are they rated for weight-wise? No, 400. You sure? Yes, sir. How many of you knew that? <laughs> well, <laughs> you, didn't, <laughs> you, you didn't check it out. You just came and sat down in the chair. And some of you plopped down. And... What if that chair wasn't rated for 350 or 400 pounds? What if it fell apart when you sat down on it? It'd be embarrassing in church in front of everybody. <laughs> now, we'd have helped you. You're among friends. We'd have taken care of you right, right after we took your picture and put it on Instagram. We, <laughs> we would have helped you. But you had faith. Somebody made a chair. It'd be all right to sit in it. Where's your faith? 
Is it in your ability to earn a living with your head or your hands? Is it in your spouse taking care of you? Is it in some government pension? Is it in uh, the fact that you got some money in the bank? Uh, the Bible says, have faith in God. Huh. You know, I think that one of the reasons a lot of our independent Baptist churches aren't really doing much to give the gospel to people is they really don't believe it works. They think that ungodly crowd out there that is so against the things that the Bible teaches that we're not going to reach it. We've got to find somebody that already kind of believes like us. Huh. I got news for you. <laughs> the gospel soul winning doesn't work. It fails every time it's not tried. But you know what I believe? I, I can tell you testimonies of people all over our church that I had the privilege of leading to Christ that we saw saved through our ministry. I, I can tell you stories. We had a couple in our church for years and, and the, the young man came and he got saved. He already had a child at the age of 15. He was about 21 or two when he came to our church and a, and a young lady came in and she got saved and she already had a child and they met and they started to date. They found out the first time they'd ever seen each other as they retraced their steps, they were in different cars that were shooting at each other rough crowd and man he became a deacon and a soul winner and a bus captain she became a great lady and a soul winner in our church and people would say to him Marcus what changed you and he'd say Jesus do you believe that so I got a question I think I saw some tracts out there right now what do you what do you charge for those so anybody can take as many as they want? Yes, sir. What are they supposed to do with them? Hand them out to everybody. So I'm not going to do this, but what if I went around, how many tracks you got in your purse? How many tracks you got in your pocket? How many tracks you got on you? How many of you, you feel like you are physically incapable of doing that? Anybody say, no, I'm, I'm disabled. I just, if I did that, I'd lose my pension. <laughs> I won't ask you how many do that. You'd be surprised how many preachers I'm with never try to witness to a waitress, never try to give a tract out to somebody at the gas station. I, I do it a little different than I used to. It's just a freebie. It's not part of the sermon. I used to say, can I give you some good news? If you died today, do you know whether or not you go to heaven? Can I give you something to tell you about that? I don't do that anymore. I learned this from my friend Brian Treadway, a preacher from Abingdon, Virginia, who's now a member of our church and goes around the world training soul winners and got, got excited about soul winning and learned how to do it through our church. It was from a crowd, that, a camp meeting crowd that didn't much believe in that. And uh, man, he got old. Last time I was at his church when he was still pastoring, he had about 40 people on a Sunday night that had been saved in the last six months. And Brother Treadway will say, has anybody told you yet today that God loves you? Wow. <laughs> you know he does. 
my pastor printed up a tract for me. I always used our church tract as my business card. It had all my information on it. Didn't have a business card. You wanted my contact information, I had to give you a tract. And uh, he said, what do you want on the tract since the church tract didn't have my information anymore? I, I had him say this, do you know how much God loves you? I've had Muslims take this tract. I've had obviously transgendered people take this tract. I don't know how many of them got saved, but I know a whole bunch of them. I've given them the tract, and they've said, uh, I needed that. Thank you. I'm not real smart, but after they say that, I said, well, I can tell you what's in that tract in a few minutes. Would you like me to show you how much God loves you, how he wants you to spend eternity with him? Now, wait a minute. You know why I do that? Because I believe in the power of the gospel. And you can say you believe in it, but if you don't pass them out, you don't. If you believe something, it'll act as if it were so. Faith. Where is your faith? So, what do we learn from the story? We've seen the reason for the storm, the response to the storm, the rebuke. Let me give you some reminders. Number one, storms are normal. Don't be upset. Don't think God doesn't love you. Don't think you've done something wrong. Don't listen to Job's friends who say, oh, some wicked sinner. That's the reason you're in all this trouble. No, it just happens. In the world, you shall have tribulation. Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. He making this rain to fall on the just and on the unjust. Storms are normal. Number two, storms are part of life. Fear is normal, but it's never necessary. The psalmist said, what time I'm afraid I will trust in thee. But he said again, I will trust and never be afraid. God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And every fear you have is from a source other than God. You figure out who it is. Next one is this. The devil can rock your boat, but he can't sink your ship. Yeah, he can give you some trouble. But if you're in the boat with Jesus, you'll survive storms that will sink everybody else. And then I want you to notice this. It is sinful not to exercise faith. You know the Bible says, without faith it is difficult to please God. What? Impossible. Now, we misunderstand faith. We think faith is, uh, it'll be okay, God will take care of it, everything's fine. I think there are people that have that kind of faith or seem to. But I read about a guy in the Bible and he said, Lord, I believe, help thou mine. Huh? It's like saying, Lord, I'm skinny, help thou my fatness. I'm bald, help thou my hairiness. I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Three evil children, Lord, they said to the king, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from a burning fire, a furnace house prepared, and he will deliver us, O king. Amen. Next three words out of their mouths. But if not. He will. You sure about it? Yes, absolutely, sort of. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is trusting God a little more than you listen to your doubt. Preacher invites you to go out soul winning. You're scared to death. Perspiration running all the way down to your waist. You don't have to knock on the door. You hold your hand up. It knocks automatically. <laughs> but if you went, 
You demonstrated faith. Some gift financially God wants you to give and it's a large amount and it's going to mess up your plans and there's other people who can give the same amount and it wouldn't even bother them and, and yet you know God wants you to do it and if you, if you shake and quake and quiver and beads of sweat burst out on your forehead like you've been eating habaneros but you drop it in the plate, you demonstrated faith. What are you doing in your Christian life right now that requires faith. Let me tell you what happened in my life. I pastored a good-sized church 44 years. While I did that, I traveled 60 meetings a year, last probably 15, 20 years of that. Did a paper every month called The Preacher's Page. Used to write an article for every issue of The Sword of the Lord. Still write an article or a couple for every issue of The Baptist Voice. Had a lot going on. And every once in a while, preacher, I'd get to where I had to figure it figured out. Do this on this day and that on that day and get everything just so. And everything, every time I got that figured out, it seemed like God come along and say, good, now I want you to add this. I'd say, Lord, I just got that figured out. And it seemed like the Lord would say, yeah, you had it figured. I don't want you living by your figuring. I want you living by my, by faith in me. So, what are you doing that requires faith? I've never been to a movie in my life. When I was a boy growing up, Christians didn't go to movies. I'm not being unkind. If I, if I, thought, if I knew a kid went to the movie in school, I just thought he wasn't saved. Now, I, I know Christians go to movies some of them these days. And to be fair, Hollywood's a whole lot cleaner now than it was when I was a boy. <laughs> But I read about this movie, Superman. Now I knew about Superman. He's faster than a speeding bullet and he's more powerful than a locomotive and he's able to leap tall buildings at a single bound, otherwise known as a church secretary. <laughs> and it said in this movie, Superman went down and rescued a guy from a burning building. And he's flying really high and really fast. And they're up so high, the buildings look like they're made of Legos and the people look like ants and the guy gets scared. And Superman got upset. He said, hey, I didn't fly all the way down there, pull you out of a burning building just to drop you on the way home. I wonder if God didn't look at his children sometimes. Why are you fearful? Where's your faith? I didn't come and lift you out of the miry clay and take your feet and set them on a rock and establish your goings and put a new song in your mouth. I did not wash you in the blood of my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and cleanse your sins. I did not indwell you by my spirit and make you my child. I did not write your name down in the Lamb's book of life in indelible ink just to drop you on the way home. Lord, would you... Speak to our hearts, help us to hear and obey. Give me your mind as I extend the invitation, I pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. I wonder who's here this evening, you say, if I died today, I know I'd go to heaven. I'm certain that I'm God's child, but... 
the Spirit of God's dealt with me about fear. Why are you so fearful? You say, Brother Willette, I need to do some business with God about the matter of fear. He spoke in my heart about that. Pray for me. If you say that, would you hold your hand up high? God bless you. 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 And the one who says, God's dealt with me about the matter of faith. I'm not sure how I'd answer the question, what I'm doing that requires faith. But I know without faith it is impossible to please God. And God's dealt with me about that. I, I wish you'd pray with me about that. If you say that, would you slip your hand up? I'd like to include you in the prayer. God bless you. And I don't know the crowd tonight. I wonder if somebody's here and you say, I don't know I'd go to heaven if I died right now. I'd like to be sure that all my sins are forgiven. I had a home in heaven. You said that God wants to do that for me. I don't know I did. I don't know I'd go to heaven if I died right now. If you're like that, I'd like to pray for you. I didn't call attention to others whose hand was raised. I won't call any more attention to you now than I did to them then, but I'd like to pray for you. Who says, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I wish I was. Pray for me when you pray for the other folks. If that's you, would you slip your hand up high? I'd like to include you in the prayer. Thank you, young friend. God bless you. Lord, I ask your help in every life. I pray for the one young person who said, I'm not sure of heaven. If they can understand and they need to know you, I pray that they would trust you tonight. I pray for all of us who said that you dealt with us about fear and about faith. Thank you for many who raised a hand. Help all of us to whom you've spoken to also bend the knee. In Jesus' name, amen.